Hello, and welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking to Roger Cole. Roger has been involved in politics in Ireland since joining Labour as a student in the late 1960s. He was involved in the Liaison Committee of the Labour Left and subsequently became General Secretary of the Socialist Labour Party. After the SLP, he rejoined Labour and remained a member until leaving in recent years in response to their lack of support of neutrality when in government. He is currently a member of Sinn Féin. In 1996, Roger founded, with Carol Fox, the Peace and Neutrality Alliance, PANA, which describes itself as seeking to advocate an independent Irish foreign policy, defend Irish neutrality and to promote a reformed United Nations as the institution through which Ireland should pursue its security concerns, and to which several political parties, unions and organisations are affiliated. We'll discuss Roger's political background, his experience of political parties and his identification with the values of republicanism, the issue of Irish neutrality, the PANA organisation and EU and international militarism, his involvement in organising the huge march against the war in Iraq and Dublin in 2003, and his involvement in centenary commemorations in recent years and the effect of the centenary on people's assessment of republicanism and of Ireland's history. To find out more about the Peace and Neutrality Alliance, you can visit pana.ie, that's P-A-N-A dot The Irish Left Archive is online at leftarchive.ie. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you can contact us via the form on the website or by emailing us at contact at leftarchive.ie. Many thanks to Roger for talking to us and thank you for listening. So uh, first, uh, thanks very much, Roger, for taking the time to talk to us. Could you give us an outline of what first brought you into political involvement um, and what that entailed? Well, uh, my father was always interested in politics. I'm quite knowledgeable about politics. Uh, he, had, he was born in 1903, a long time ago, and uh, he was living in Dublin. He got, got a job at the age of 15, 16 up in Dublin. And uh, he, his family had been home rule. You live in Dublin during the National War of Independence. He changed his mind. as He was a home rule family, and he changed to becoming uh, in favour of Irish independence. And I mean, never joined the IRA, IRA or anything like that, but he shared uh, digs with an IRA guy. Uh, you know what I mean? And uh, for a joke at once, I said, you never think of telling the uh, RIC about him, I said. He gave me a very, very dirty look, you know what I mean? Uh, and he meant it. You know? So I decided that wasn't a very good idea. Um, so we used to go for walks down the pier and talk about politics and talk about things. And he, he was, a, he'd become a, you know, Fianna Fáil man, through and through, you know what I mean? And no, he wasn't active, and that's the way he wrote it. You know what I mean? So uh, when I went to college then, I did a degree in history and politics. And I suppose initially I was primarily interested purely in history. Hmm. But of course, you know, the 19th, late 1960s was a, it was a political era in terms both of internationally with the war in Vietnam and the... the um, the riots in Paris, and then talk about, of course, our own uh, issues of, of uh, the conflict in, in Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, or the civil rights movement. So you, it would be very, inc- so I wasn't that much of a fluke. A lot of people got involved in politics that hadn't been, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and in those days, there were, I think there were three groups uh, of political influence. One was the Maoists, I think, which faded away. Yeah. The other with the Republican clubs. Um, I had decided that uh, I wanted to get involved and knocking on doors and actually meeting, you know, trying to get people involved, right? Mm. Um, <clears throat> so I joined the local Labour Party in Dunleary mm. uh, in 1967. 
then uh, I decided I would join a universities branch and discovered that I was the only person in Trinity in the Labour Party in the 1960s. So I went up and joined the what was then called the universities branch, headed up by Rory Quinn right. or Ho Chi Minh, as he was then called, Ho Chi, sorry, Ho Chi Quinn. <laughs> Um, uh, and it's lefty and all that, and so mm -hmm. carry on. And remember, I don't know if you remember, but they, they had these big dem student demonstrations and protests mm -hmm. up in UCD as well. And uh, but, like, you know, not that I dislike them, but it's a long way up from Trinity College up to UCD, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I recently met Basil Miller, who, who, who I got on well with in those days, and um. So I, found, I decided to found the Trinity College branch of the Labour Party. So they, we were you know, we were reasonably active, you know, we were built up, you know, the size we were at the time. I think uh, the college, number of people in college at that stage was, I think, about one and a half, two thousand at most. It was you know, much smaller, much smaller college. college. Um, most of the students, including myself, you'd work your way, uh, you'd work in factories in England or America to make mm. money to, to get through, help to get through college. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I stayed involved, uh, you know, I, you got about other things as well. I mean, two things I can remember. I used to get the bus into town and you'd go past Merrion Square. Uh, that at the time was owned by the, uh, the Catholic Church. Mm. They were intending to make it into a, make the space uh, into a pro-cathedral. So I used to watch, I, mean, I just, this is insane. How can you possibly want to build a big church there? Why, might, why not make it into a park? So the Dunleary branch of the, the uh, sorry, the um, Trinity College branch of the Labour Party launched a petition in those areas or, uh, uh, behind, you know, the, 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 you had the Georgian Square, right? Mm -hmm. Behind all that, it was huge estates of, of, of punters living in small houses. Yeah. You know, basically not all that rich. And you know, of course, I, we were all doing this with petition, you see, and people, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea, and they'd sign it, right? Yeah. So at one stage, uh, we were coming along, and this guy opened the door, and he opened the door, and he says, and who are you? You know what I mean? And, you know, he, he kind of gathered the prosecutor's student or something, which I thought was reasonable. And um, he said, uh, give me the bus that. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, give me that. He says, I'll take this. I'll, I'll take over from now, right? I, I had to go. Be, I was going off to work at the factories in, in, in a couple of weeks' time anyway. So um, he took it over. So looking back at my life, I always think that was one of the things I really enjoyed starting off, right? Yeah. You go buses. I still go past the buses, still past Marion Square, and now it's a bloody park. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Great, great. Actual achievement. Uh, now, I, I didn't do it, obviously, but probably that other fellow whose name. I don't know, but he, I'm sure he didn't do it. I got the impression he wasn't doing it for the crack. He actually wanted, mm. and he lived there, and he was one of the people who wanted to use it. Mm. And so you, all you're really doing is, you know, a little flint, but the actual work is done by him and his people. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I like, I like looking back at uh, actual achievements. Like another thing we did is we organized a, a fundraiser for Noel Brown. Noel Brown was the, the, the TD for Labour at the time. Mm. In the current same constituency now, they're fighting this violation, which is uh, yeah. But it wasn't, you know, there was, you know, there was always room for at least one Labour TD there, not two. You know, but anyway, um, uh, 
we organized a major fundraiser and, and all, across, you know, all, the, all these students who were into music and all that, they knew no ground. So they all came along and did it for nothing. And it was a great night. I mean, yeah. brilliant fun. And I remember going along to their audition, giving them money. And yeah. of course, it was a lot of money, you know what I mean, <laughs> at the time. So that was another thing I remember with, with, with fond memory of, of the kind of things we were doing. Because I used to get involved in the constituency work. Our branch got involved in constituency work in, in mm. the actual constituency as well. So it wasn't just, let's have debates about socialism. It was actually trying to involve yourself with actual things that are actually happening in the area you live in. Yeah, um, crucial. So <clears throat> and then I got a job in the north and up in Enniskillen. And uh, I wasn't involved in politics there at all, right? Because I didn't know anything about Enniskillen politics there. And to be honest, uh, I was there probably two years too long. I mean, I wasn't a really good teacher. Right. And uh, I used to enjoy leaving school. And the school would shut at four, and five minutes past four, I was in the car back down to Dublin again. Right. So uh, I got then, I re reestablished my link then with the, with the Labour Party, right? I had joined the, the official Sinn Féin briefly while the last year I was in college, right? Mm. Uh, and I remember... Uh, I was active in the organization maybe for a couple of months until I came home one day and the, my, and my name and address had obviously gone into um, head office from the local branch mm. because my father was there and my, you know, when I came home one evening, and he, <laughs> I hear you're in Sinn Féin, right? Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, you didn't tell us. I said, well, you're a Fianna Fáil person. I didn't think you'd like it very much. <laughs> I didn't tell you. Um, he said, now, don't be you, John. Don't be joining the IRA now, right? Uh, you know, this is, wouldn't be a good idea, you know? And uh, he was against that. He, he says, this is, this, uh, this is going to go the wrong way. And, mm. uh, and of course, I, when, it, when, it, when the split happened, I went with the, with the officials, right? Yeah. Uh, you know. I, it, it was. It wasn't that I. It wasn't that I didn't. I'm a pacifist or something like that. Mm. It's just that you were taking on the British Empire that wanted Northern Ireland and indeed still want Northern. I have these discussions with people. I think the British British state still wants Northern Ireland to be part of the the UK. The Britain. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a very powerful culture that's been part of their imperial culture for a very long time. Mm. You know, uh, they're still sending. They're sending aircraft carriers off to the coast of China. They're sending ships, battleships, or well, small battleships, off cruising um, uh, in the Crimea. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're expanding the number of nuclear weapons they have, mm. right? So, and of course, as I said, you know, I licked my Republican from my culture, from my family tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And I am a Republican, and you know, I became a Conley Club Republican. But certainly, a Republican is something is an adjective I, I more than happily accept. So, you are going to beat the British Empire, and that's the core objective, and has been since the time of old Tom. Hmm. You've got to work with people who you don't necessarily like in other matters to defeat hmm. them. Because I am absolutely in favor of a United Ireland, and always have been. And I regard that as one of my core values and like every if you look back what i've done for example um you know say for example just take one of the areas i'm deeply involved in which is you know, over over the years i was the chair of the 
John Neary anti-amendment campaign, right? Mm. Or, or one of the main people involved in that. And later on, I was the chair, actually elected chair of the uh, John Neary Divorce Action Group. Right? Mm -hmm. That's all part of, you know, if you read the, I, I read the, the, the collected works of, of Tone, right? I mean, he really did believe in a separation of church and state. He did actually believe in the cultural values of the French Revolution. And the core of that was the separation of church and state. So that's what you were trying to do with those things. You were trying not just to um, fight for divorce or, or, or all those anti-amendment campaign issues, purely on the basis that you know this is what you should be doing but they're they are core old-fashioned i mean 18th century republican values of the yeah. separation of the church and state and uh, i think in the anti-amendment campaign well we were one of the very few constituencies that actually voted uh if against the amendment so, yeah. and that didn't happen easily. There was an awful lot of work put into that. You know what I mean? Like we were meeting each week, you know, once a week, and we'd have a thing to do for the next week, and we'd have, you know, we produced pamphlets and just kept on at it and at it and at it. Uh, sometimes people think that that Dunleary would be a would be a, a liberal area, but don't forget, Cosgrave used to top the poll there, right? And actually, if you did a breakdown, I remember we actually did a breakdown of where people voted yes or no. The highest uh, opposition was in Ballybrack, which is a young working class area, right? And the older areas where older people live, say in Sally Noggin, it wouldn't be anywhere near as high. But I mean, you'll have as many middle class people voting, uh, you know, voting in favour as against, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, uh, and it was close enough as well, you know what I mean? But we did win. But So you, you, you could see the divisions emerging within Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil and, and other parties, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the, 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 you have people who are conservative in the Labour Party, you know what I mean, as well as being mm. fallen for the game. You know what I mean? So, you know, just, so but that tends to be forgotten. I mean, nowadays, they oh, was the, it was it was the it was the liberal middle class that initiated. That's not not. Whatever, I, I know I can only speak for my own area, Dunleary. It wasn't. It was Barry Brack was the largest, and that that whole. It's, I don't know you know Dunleary, but Barry Brack's quite big. I mean, yes, yeah. that's not. You know, uh, yeah, I remember canvassing with the Workers' Party um, in favour of divorce in the 80s. Yeah. And it was funny, you'd be there with the WP canvassing team and then you'd see DAG come around as well. But it was, it, you def definitely are right. Definitely, yeah. 100%. And that's, uh, I think that that's something that needs to be remembered because sometimes people say, oh, you working class or conservative. I, I don't go along with that at all. You know, they're just in, in cultural value, they might have similar, you know, I mean, breakdowns, but it was an age thing, really. Was yeah. working you know, yeah. you know. so, yeah. uh, you, you, so you left. You obviously left the officials after a while. Oh yeah, I did. But that's because I went up to the north and I didn't want to get involved. You know, I just it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't sort of. I hate you. There's no split or anything like that. Mm. I, I like the work. I know a lot of workers' party people. Mm. Like the workers' party, uh, along with Sinn Fein, both affiliated to Pan in the same year. Yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, don't forget, like, not, Wolf Tone was the first person to advocate neutrality. Mm. And he wrote a pamphlet uh, called The Spanish War. The British Empire looks like we're going to go to the Spanish War over a trade dispute in, 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 in the United States, in what is now America. Mm. And um, they didn't in the end, but he wrote a pamphlet called The Spanish War saying, we should not get involved in this war. We do an awful lot of trade with, with, with uh, Spain. 
there's not a good idea for us, right? Mm. And we shouldn't get involved. He also said in the same pamphlet, the first time he ever argued that we should be an independent state with our own flag and our courage to maintain it, right? If you go on to uh, Wikipedia, right? That's not mentioned at all. There's no reference to that. So people like you who are better in, in dealing with computer things, um, you go on to Winnipeg and put it in. Okay. <laughs> no, because um, there, there is, a, there is a, I, I can't believe, you know, that's, that's crazy. I mean, it was actually a successful pamphlet. And in the yeah. following year, he wrote a pamphlet on equal rights for, for Catholic Protestant Center. You know what I mean? Mm. So, you know, these are values that are not recent. I mean, mm. they go back a long, long, long way. Uh, and it's also when, for example, the um, the Irish Republican government, the truce was declared, and then there was a period of negotiations. And the various, the Republican government brought over papers to say what they were looking for. Mm. And the British Empire obviously said something different. Mm. And one of them was uh, on the issue of neutrality, where the then Republican government, representing all the, the whole entire Sinn Féin organization, uh, was that in return for... Um, Irish neutrality becoming permanent, uh, we will ensure that our territory would not be used to attack uh, England, right? Which I completely agree with. Like, and if we're going to be independent, I mean, if you're going to have United Ireland, then you know you have to say, well, we're not going to allow Ireland to be used to attack uh, England. Mm. Hopefully, Scottish. And become independent by then as well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Wales. But, I mean, you know, you, you would, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's reasonable. I think it's a reasonable trade-off between ending the British occupation of my country, our country, depending on your own politics, hmm. um, and and saying you'll use, you'll allow your country not to be used to attack them. And I think yeah. that's yeah, fair sense. Interesting. Yeah. So. Um, so when I came back down, I got involved. I got involved in the liaison committee of the Labour Left, which was kind of a left grouping within the party, mm. like Thomas Boucher and others, right? And uh, then um, we were, Noel Brown was the main man, and Matt Merrigan, they were expelled then, or left. I think Matt, Noel was expelled. Matt joined them in to find and decide inside the uh, form of the Socialist Labour Party. Now, at the time, I was just, as far as I was concerned, I was just a punter in the, in the organization. Mm. But uh, the leaders approached me, right, and said, we would like you to become the general secretary. Right, okay. <laughs> I heard, like, you know, young bit of that guy in his mid-20s. Uh, I said, yes. And I, looking back, it was an absolute fucking disaster. Sorry, it was, it was, I shouldn't be worried. No, you're grand, but it was an absolute disaster. right? Because don't forget, I was working at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I was selling ads. You know, I knew that if you were running a business, you had to actually generate money to spend it, right? Mm. Old-fashioned concept, which clearly didn't apply to any Trotsky ever, right? You know, they, they just they just said, I just said, well, you know, if we're going to have a newspaper that's going to cost money, where are we going to get the money? No, no, you're the general secretary. That's your job. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you stay as general secretary, dare I ask? I think I put up with it for about three or four years. I mean, you know, four years. Yeah, I made a mistake in my life. It was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life because, you know, you have to deal with people who are, have some element of realism. Hmm. 
You know what I mean? And I was dealing with, I think every goddamn trust in the whole country, every, the whole lot of them, all joined. Of course, they hated each other more than they hated me, but nevertheless, uh, you know, every, everyone, and I just thought I couldn't. Now, I think a lot of them have mellowed, maybe with old age or whatever, you know, but nevertheless, I mean, I think, I personally think Richard Boy Barr is quite a decent guy, you know. And yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's nothing like having, there's nothing like getting elected and then wanting to get re-elected that actually makes you a bit more um, realistic. You know what I mean? Hmm. Things like that. You know what I mean? Pragmatic, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, I just, it's just crazy. Do you think it was it was too soon, really, the SLP? I mean, it was trying to be a platform sort of a party with different strands. Do you think just that form couldn't work? Or do you think, you know, at some point it could work, but it wasn't the right time for it or, you know? Well, it's, it's hard to tell. I think primarily it probably wasn't the right time for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are times in history when these things occur and you, you don't see them coming and, and mm. you know, but there has to be people in the party who actually realize that if you're going to have a head office, you have to generate an income to pay the rent. Mm. I mean, these are fairly realistic uh, concepts, you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, stuff like that. And there didn't seem to be, there seemed to be far, far more people. I mean, it's a sort of pass a resolution for my departure mm. at one stage. Really? France, of course they did. Yeah. They didn't really? like, well, that's fair enough. I wouldn't, I wouldn't object to that. Like, you know, they don't like somebody who's <laughs> dreadful and the rest of it. Yeah. That's fair enough. I don't have a problem with that. But I mean, but you weren't you weren't like oh you were kept on obviously so. Oh yeah, we beat them. But I mean you know that that's that's so silly. You know what I mean? It's, it's such a silly thing to do, and so early on to want to get rid of the general secretary of a party, which is quite small. I tend to be a bit on the blunt side, especially when it comes to money. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I tend to say we don't have the money. How are we going to get it? And then and when they just turn around and say, well, then you're the secretary. That's your problem. It isn't my problem. You know what I mean? Mm, it's yeah. the organization's problem and they just wanted to find someone who who they could say all this to I me mean, do this do this do that and then, but look that's a long long time ago and I'm, I'm just saying I, 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 I mean, it, it eventually disintegrated then my next campaign I got involved way way more and later on I got involved in uh, and I rejoined uh, the party eventually the Labour Party mm. and I got involved in a group led by by Michael Taft right mm. uh, and they were way, way better. Right. I mean, really, these were sound people. These were good Labour Party, good sound. It was a very, very, very positive experience. Yeah. Uh, a lot of time for Michael Taft, right? Mm. Uh, and Emma Stagg and, and Frank Butler. Frank Buckley, yeah. Great people then who, you know, you talk about... Uh, you know, the, the, I think the CP had gone through some split over, the, over I think, Czech, Czechoslovakia or whatever, and quite mm. a lot of them joined Labour Left, so the yeah. Labour Left grouping within the party, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, at one stage we were able to get uh, nearly a majority or nearly a majority of party support of actual members. I mean, it was a very, very formidable yeah. organisation. And uh, not just formidable in terms of its... Uh, well, Mick O'Reilly was in it. You know what I mean? Remember all that? They were all. I always found people in the CP are way better than, than anybody in the Strats. You know what I mean? Right. As, as, as people to, to just practically deal with. You know what I mean? What about Militant, though? Because you'd have had Militant. Oh, no, I'm not talking about Militant. I'm talking about. Militant didn't join. They weren't involved in the Socialist Labour Party at 
Oh, no, no, I know that. But I mean, in terms of like inside the Labour Party then, because they were obviously a coming thing inside the Labour Party. And I think yeah, the I, I, I Labour always, left uh, worked quite I, well I, with them. You know, on a personal level, I got on with them. You know, mm. I mean, on a personal level, I actually got some, I got on well with some of the trots as well. You know, it wasn't yeah. as if we had personal relatives. These were political yeah. uh, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, Labour left, for example, the whole point of Labour left was to, not to form a new party. Right, but mm. to build a broad group within the party of individual members who were mm. in favour of certain policies, in particular, not to go into coalition with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. Yeah, and then they were so big, and then you know, and then they produced this commission. So the the compromise then was that we would not advocate going into coalition with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael until we were big enough to make a difference. And the generally understood figure was 25% of the right. vote. You know, we are 25, you know, like a sizable home yeah. vote. So we, we, there was, we weren't, and that, that's what the commission came out with. I don't think I actually quoted the figure, but they, mm. this is a state that the commission established by the party with people on it from a different side. Sam Nolan, I think, was on it. Was yeah, yeah. And uh, that was a very constructive analysis, you know. Uh, Niall Green was involved in it as well. Mm. So you had, and, and these people were not, the Niall wasn't in Labour left, you know what I mean? But you had people who were, you know, competent, able uh, guys who wanted, essentially, to come out with a report that would unite the party. Yeah. And they did, you know what I mean? So it worked very, very well. And, I, you know, it was the general consensus was we would actually do that. You know, we yeah. would actually, uh, you know, so that was a very, very positive agreement. You know, never had any problems with it. I was the treasurer of that organization mm. as well. And, uh, you know. Was, was there a shift in your own sort of analysis then between the point where, you, you know, leaving with the SLP and uh, returning to the Labour Party about, you know, how, how you build a left um yeah, I mean, I, 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 I you know, uh, it's not as if you, it's not as if you, you just felt in your, that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, certainly after having that era, I mean, they, they were too linked in with the ruling class, right? Mm-hmm. Too many of them had links here, there and everywhere, you know, the, the Galway tent and all that, like, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and all that. So you didn't feel that either of those parties were going to uh, be successful uh, or, or transform anything very much. I wouldn't overdo it. You know what I mean? Don't forget, I said my father's a Fianna Fáil guy, but then mm. he joined because of the massive housing, massive uh, massive number of houses they built in the 1930s. And that's how Fianna Fáil had kept huge numbers of working class people constantly voting for Fianna Fáil, simply because they're the ones who built the houses for them. You know what I mean? You know, so, you know, Fianna Fáil wasn't always a reactionary party. It was, you know, it was, there are many parts of the history of Fianna Fáil, and indeed Fianna Gael. I mean, you know, when Fianna State was founded, they built uh, Arden Crusher. And they they actually allocated a large hunk of the state income uh, for um, an energy source, right, of of a major importance built by uh, German engineers, right? Mm. And that was another, you know, that was a significant thing. I, I Sometimes I get fed up with some, everybody saying, oh, everything before us was evil, right? That's not actually true. You know what I mean? There were constructive uh, things. Don't forget now, when Noel Brown was kicked out, with, remember he, over oh, the mm. mother and child scheme, he, after that, he joined Fianna Fáil. You know what I mean? So, 
when you're not in, when you are a smallish group, when your ideology is not reflecting the views of huge numbers of people, it, it's a tough job to know exactly what you're going to do in any particular situation. And, uh, you know, I don't have a hang up about people that are in Fianna Fáil or, sorry, in, in the Workers' Party or the Socialist Workers' Party or the people, or whatever. You know what I mean? People, people, people can find their own way to doing what they're all doing. And I don't look down upon them because they don't agree with me. You know what I mean? They yes. could be right, for all I know. Yeah. And, uh, and I will always try and work with them. I wasn't involved in Irish CND, you know, because I thought, you know, part of, you know, part of being a Republican is being in favour of Irish neutrality and not getting, not getting involved in endless wars, but being neutral. It was quite, you know, Devon Era was a very, very strong advocate yeah. of Irish neutrality, you know, and not, not, you know, if you read government reports, all, all began in the Second World War. That's utter twaddle. It began with Wolf Tone. It was supported by the Republican government in their negotiations with, with the British Empire. Uh, it was maintained. Uh, uh, Gael, uh took part in the League of Nations when David Leary came to power, so that he and then he stayed neutral in the Second War. And then in the 1950s, he made it very simple. He said, we're a very small country. Hmm. The big powers that launched these wars, they made the decisions. We have nothing to do with it. We have no role. So the idea that we should go out and fight for another empire on the ground for defending democracy and all that stuff, that's when big powers come to go to war, it's usually about we want to be the big guys and rule the world, sort of stuff. And they want to rule the world. It's got nothing to do with all the small little countries. And um, that's what I find. That's why, and that's why Pan, that's why when, when, when Gorbachev came to power and then all that whole era, that, that whole period, it looked like there wasn't going to be a nuclear war, and this peace movement all over Europe literally disappeared. And then um, Carol Fox and myself, who had I'd been actively involved in uh, British CNT together, and Carol is in Germany as well. So we finally agreed that it, we would that we thought that European Union was going to seek to become a nuclear armed super state with its own army. Now, not immediately, but the process was beginning. Like we had campaigned against the Single European Act way back in, in, 19, in the 1980s. You know what I mean? You know, because if you look at the various processes, it, it doesn't happen like that. It's a slow, you know, build up inch by inch by inch by inch, right? And um, the, the so when we decided we would seek to get affiliation. Uh, we got, for example, Republican Sinn Féin to affiliate. And rumor is that they don't like Sinn Féin, and Sinn Féin affiliated. And Sinn Féin not not supposed to like the Workers' Party, but the Workers' Party affiliated. So quite a lot of the uh, people who don't, you know, don't like each other or not supposed to like each other uh, realize, well, whatever else we don't agree on, we do all agree on Ireland should be a neutral state. And public opinion after public opinion, Paul, that we've you know, asked to do, uh, and, and so on, uh, shows that, that the Irish people don't want to get involved in wars. And that's the core reason, you know, this, this is we all our children to come back in body bags for somebody else's war. Yeah. And the problem now is, that's why Fan was founded in 96. But you see, when we were founded in 1996, 
there was nothing really happening. Mm. You know what I mean? It was no, they were just building all the legal structures. So every time a referendum was had, the, the legal parts of each EU treaty became part of Irish law. Mm. So then they had another one. Now only the particular aspects of that treaty became part of the law. You know what I mean? Not other ones, right? So what, what you've been seeing happening, and, and the, really, the key one was that was, uh, we, as you know, helped to build a broader alliance, so way bigger than Pan itself. Um, and we won, we done very well, but the very, very first, you know, the, the, we did quite well. And the whole issue of neutrality was core. Hmm. And the big one, the main one was the, the, was the last one, was the Lisbon Treaty, hmm. where they decided to establish uh, permanent military structures. That's why the P comes from in PESCO. Hmm. So when the Irish army gets involved in various different parts, PESCO is funny, it's, it's like a series of dots, right? Hmm. Loosely linked up, right? But they're, they're separate little things, right? Hmm. Uh, and they're all put together, right? And the idea is that eventually they'll form, they're permanent to start with. So the Irish are involved in about three different uh, projects involved in the different aspects of forming a war. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Hmm. You know, you're only involved that bit of the jigsaw, you know? and then, then France are involved in that one, Germany are involved in that one, a group is usually about three or four or five different places. And the idea is to steadily build them all up, right? Mm. And create the sense that we're all in this together, you know? Mm. The fact that France has the nuclear weapons and nobody else has might have nothing to do with it, like, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and also, so there is, the, so we do find, however, it's quite clear that, I'll give you an example of that. Mm. When the war in Afghanistan began, I would get phone calls from the Irish Times saying, uh, Roger, will you write an article as to why the Afghan war isn't a good idea? Which you, you were press statement said it's not a good idea. Mm. Right? And um, I wrote it and they published it. Right. And they paid me, would you believe? Right? <laughs> and uh, now that's all gone. You know, that's that all that whole thing. And the Irish Times used to be a paper that had you know, imperial, yeah, it's back to the 1914-18 war. I mean, it's an imperial publication to its backbone. It had to, uh, um, Gageby was editor for a while. I was a young fellow, right? But he was different, right? But that whole imperial culture has returned, right? And of course, you have English newspapers like the Irish, the Sunday Times, and bitterly attacked neutrality only recently. Hmm. So, there, you know, like in 1914, the entire corporate media were backing the British Empire and that imperial war, right? You're now getting the same thing happening, right? You're getting the entire corporate media refusing to have anything to do with an organization that advocates neutrality. I don't mean, no, I mean, I can understand, like, you know, millions, millions of US troops have landed in Shannon Airport on their way to the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that. Mm. And I remember uh, when I was up the north, I read a guy a book on the history of Fermanagh, where I was at school was. And Livingston, this is a local priest, had written a, a, written a, a history of the, of the famine in Fermanagh. Mm. I think 38 to 40,000 people had died in Fermanagh as a consequence of the famine alone. Mm. And he said, well, he said, if you read the then Protestant Unionist uh, local paper, the um, impartial reporter, 
he wouldn't know there was a famine. Famine didn't ever happen because it wasn't in the paper. So you ask historians, will you go back and write a history of Ireland, you know, from 1996 to now, right? Mm. And go through the source, you know, the actual source of the news, of what was actually happening at the time, i.e. the newspapers, right? Yeah. You wouldn't know that millions of US troops have landed in Shannon Airport because they never reported, ever, literally never. I mean, you never see, you know, a report of the fact that millions, literally millions have gone over. So and not only that, of course, that Ireland actually sent troops to Afghanistan yeah. and actually helped you know, in, with troops, not that many of us, we weren't allowed legally, you know. And now the, the Irish troops are in Mali. Now Mali is Afghanistan too. I mean, you could write the script. It's so damned obvious that they're fighting themselves in a war which their only function is to die or to leave because they won't going to win. They're not going to win the war in Afghanistan, you know. And they're not going to win the war in Iraq. You know what I mean? Now we have to organize that big march, but that's like. You know, something blows up, right? Mm. Over 100,000 people turn up. And then the then uh, Hearn government decides, ah, we're going to go to help the Americans go and take part in this war anyway. Mm-hmm. And it collapses. I remember, I think I, had, I think Robert, my son, was about seven or eight or eight or nine at the time, or ten, you know what I mean? He said, Dad, you've lost it. You're not going to win the war. Why have any more marches? You know what I mean? Out of the out of babes, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. And he was right, of course. You know what I mean? That that you know, the, the establishment closed ranks, right? And they backed the war, and that was that, right? And then successive what's called progressive organizations like the Green Party that was once if they affiliated the planet, mm. you know, as well, for example. Mm. And then they got went to the coalition of Fianna Fáil, got wiped out, right? Mm. But they didn't do anything about the participation in the war in Iraq, even though we were affiliated to us, you know? And then the Labour Party went to the coalition mm. uh, under Eamon Gilmore, and Sinn Féin put forward a resolution to say, we want an amendment to the Constitution to put neutrality actually into the Constitution. Mm. As it's only ever been policy, it's, it's, a never, it's, never, it's not part of domestic law, it's not part of the Irish Constitution. Mm. It's only the policy under Fianna Gael and then Fall. I mean, in 1939, every party bar one, every single member of Dáil Éireann bar one voted for it. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Devon Euro, you know, there's a whole lot of them bar yeah. one. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, now you're talking about the Irish Times, you know, RTE, I, I think the whole lot of them, you know, because they all know each other, they're all mates, so they're all, you know, they all mix in different circles. You know, I mix, mm-hmm. We all mix our own, we ha- all have a group of friends, you know, which we tend to mix around with and stuff like that, that might be disagreements. Mm-hmm. And they're the same. They mix with different people. You know, they don't ever hear, and they don't want to hear. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example of that. The last time the issue of neutrality was debated was in the last European elections in uh, 2019, where the issue was actually debated, right? Mm. And they then held an exit poll on a variety of issues, their attitude towards Irish language. But they also asked, are you in favour or against Irish neutrality? Mm. And in that poll, um, and that's what you know, it said 82% of Irish people are in favour of neutrality in all its aspects. Right? So here's an organisation that's advocating a policy 
supported by 82% of the population, which is slightly more than 2%. And we're completely ignored. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not saying there's other peace groups. There's a very, very good uh, group now in Galway. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's other ones in. I think the, the trots have one as well called it the Irish anti-war groups, right? So I mean they're there, you know, so they're all, but we I, we would definitely be recognized internationally as the peace movement. There's no question about that. I'm not trying to bolster anything, but I think that's a factual statement. So that's a big change. I mean, that's happened yeah. essentially over the last 10 years, where when, for example, the, the whole of Europe decided to literally bomb the hell out, bomb the hell and destroy the state of Libya. Right? by arming Muslim fundamentalists, right? Because I mean, Gaddafi, the main enemy, were Muslim fundamentalists, and they gave him loads of weapons. Mm. I remember some of them came back and blew up part of Manchester. I mean, I mean, this whole commitment, and that's what they're doing in, 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 you know, they just, that's what they're doing in Syria. You know, the Americans are arming, giving weapons to, to, to Muslim fundamentalists to try and destroy the same Syria. It, things are changing a great deal. You know what I mean? The Americans, I mean, they only constitute 4% of the world's population. I've seen growth rates comparing three country states, China, the European Union, and, uh, and America. And China is going that way, and, and the others are going this way. Mm. And, you know, the growth rates are just not, they're just, and, but they, they still want to, they, instead of saying, look, the biggest single thing we have to face us is global warming. I mean, that's a threat to the Chinese. That's a threat to the Europeans. That's a threat to Irish people. That's a threat to America. It's a threat to everybody. Mm. The consequences will be horrific. Mm. No end of science to saying that, right? So you think, well, maybe, maybe you should actually say that maybe we should work together instead of scientists mm-hmm. yeah. sending an aircraft carrier off to China by these little people called England. The main enemy of republicanism is and remains the British imperial state. Right. It'd be much better for the English, and it'd be much better for the Scottish, and much better for the Welsh if they all became independent states yeah. and a partnership of states, right? And this whole imperial culture, this whole, you know, we are an empire, we send we send aircraft carriers to China, and you know, it's all part of this. You know, it, it's you know, I don't know. Maybe they all do believe all this. Stuff. I don't know. I don't know too many people in England who do support it, but maybe I mix with the wrong people. Because I mean, Johnson is still the most popular prime minister. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, and Starmer is an enthusiastic Zionist, right? Mm. You know, he really believes that. You know, and, and, and you know, you do know, do know. I presume that um, the Israelis have been invited to join and become involved in. Pesco. Right. No, I didn't know that. Interesting. The, wow. the, they have a big army. No? Mm. They have nuclear weapons. Right? Mm. Yeah, and they would be a major addition to uh, this um, emerging European empire, which is being formed by Pesco and all the states, including Ireland, joined in, right? Mm. And said, you can join one of these. Remember I talking, Pesco was a mm. great thing. You can join uh, one of them, right? Make one up for you to join, and Trish is virtually no nobody. I mean, we've we're linked in now with um, the European network, you have the arms trade, right? It's based, oh, yeah. and uh, they, they're based in, in the Quaker house in, in, in Brussels. Hmm. Uh, because as I said, even though we were the first 
peace movement in Europe to bring this up as an issue. Mm. We never really had the resources to employ people. Uh, and now they've got some there and she's very good. And she's, you know, they're, they're, a good, they're a good organization and they produce newsletters and they're excellent, right? And we send out press statements about that. And you know what? I'm actually now going to be interviewed by Near FM. You know? oh. Oh, yeah. I, I turned down the interview from RTE and, 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 and stuff like that. You know, I, you know, of course, hmm. they course they're not interested. Yeah. Like, yeah. Of course, Israel, you know, of course, they've been told this, but I mean, the, the idea that they should uh, have a dialogue with an organization that, according to public opinion polls, reflects the views of 82% of the population. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I wonder, in terms of campaigning um, with the Peace and Neutrality Alliance, um, and particularly uh, opposition to the series of, of referenda uh, from the EU, do you think, you know, tie, tying into how you're describing the media issue, do you think that, that I mean, I found certainly with those referenda that the framing of it was, was very, it was practically like it was Brexit, you know, they're very in out, mm. which made it difficult to get the actual issues involved. Um, out there because it was sort of you're either pro EU or you're against. Yeah, that's not, see, that's that's just not that's a that's a that's a position advocated mm. by those people who want a European Empire. Mm. Like mm. we consistently said that all we sought was a protocol, which is a legally binding part of a treaty, mm. to become part of this treaty that was based on the decision of the Danish people to vote against the Maastricht Treaty. Mm. And then there was a series of negotiations between the Danish government and the European Union, and they agreed a legally binding protocol to ensure that Denmark plays no hand, act, or part in the, uh, in, in, in the European Union law, legal frameworks. Yeah. But Denmark doesn't have anything to do with others. And we said that if this was done by the Irish government, if the Irish government added a protocol to do this, Mm. we would have stayed in any further referendum. Yeah. Okay. Now, I bet you didn't know that, right? No. Well, you see, you're clever guys. You know what I mean? You're, you're yeah. And people just don't know this stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. because it, it's not allowed any kind of... Like the, the interesting, the first time round, the Catholic right decided not to get involved about abortion and things like that, right? Mm. Whatever they decided to abstain. Mm. So in the very first one that we fought, uh, this was a big issue, right? The Amsterdam mm. referendum. Uh, and always, so that was the one where that particular protocol was added to the, the incoming treaty, right? Mm. On behalf of Denmark. So we were just saying, that's all we, that's all we want. You know, that's all we want. Mm-hmm. And I remember, there's a guy called Collins. He's an Irish Times correspondent. Stephen they Collins. Thought, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had just come back from, he, we, because we were trying to talk to journalists. And, you know, and to be fair to him, he, actually, he did actually agree to meet us. And he'd just come back from Brussels for a, for a, you know, a briefing session about mm. what this treaty was all about, right? So we said to him, well, here's this um, protocol that Dane's about, right? I said, that's all you know. What protocol? He knew nothing about it, you know? Mm. Now, I'm not saying that he expended time having a crack with, it, with, with his EU friends, but there's a whole... They don't want to have anything. They, they do as uh, what we said earlier on there about, you know, it's all complicated and it's, you know, it's in or out. Right? Mm-hmm. That was not 
that was not what was argued by us. And we were the main group fighting that because the Catholic, you know, the abortion thing was an issue at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? But it wasn't during that, that particular round, the Amsterdam referendum. It was purely all about the issue. And, and, you know, they, they don't want that. They want this in or out thing, right? Did you think essentially it's deliberate, this sort of obfuscation of the legal and political complexities is... Oh yes, I mean, you know, I mean, Fina, like Fina Fall and Fina Gale are the people who made the decisions, the major operator. They all know each other. You, know, all, you go to the door, you go to the door, you're all shitting away having cups of coffee. There, 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 there isn't this great division that people think there is. There's this, mm. oh, there is this general consensus that, that, that was there anyway. You know what I mean? Uh, True. Uh, like on, on the big issues, like they're all on the same side the whole time. Mm. And, uh, you know, Sinn Féin might now be in danger of being act and categorised in the same you know, position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and we would argue that they agree with us still that, that, uh, that all they're seeking is a protocol not to be in favour of the militarisation of Europe. And there was a vote on it in, in, in the European Parliament. And Sinn Féin and the, 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 the left grouping mm-hmm. within, the, within the Parliament, they all voted against it as well. So there was a general consensus, I think... Do you think there's a sense, I mean, this is something that strikes me, that in these discussions, um, there's sort of a an aversion on the part of some people, particularly those who are clearly in favour of deeper militarisation, of acknowledging the fact there are still nominally neutral states apart from the Republic inside the European Union. And And do you find that you've been able to make common cause with people in those states to protect their neutrality as best as is possible under the circumstances? I mean, as Pana being able to forge those links with people in those states, or is it the same sort of process whereby at an official level there is this push to ramp back whatever vestiges of neutrality are left in those remaining states? Uh, yeah, but I think they have the same problems as we have. You know what mm. I mean? Neutral or not neutral, we don't make a point of only associating ourselves with peace movements in, in yeah. Austria or, or, or other countries. You know, you know yeah. We've spoken at conferences in lots of different countries over the years. Obviously, not the last couple of years. Yeah, we're affiliated to the World Peace Council. You know, we have a lot of mm. contacts here. There, you know, we've quite extensive contacts in, in America. Yeah. You know, uh, because of Shannon, we've organised a ma- helped to organise a major international conference, right? Mm. In um, Liberty Hall, right? Mm. Where people came from peace movements all over the world, right? Yeah. We were asked to do it uh, primarily by the American, major American, one of the bigger American peace movement groups, right? Yeah. We had acquired the reputation of not only talking to people in the World Peace Council, but every other uh, peace group that we knew of as well, right? Mm. Like we're affiliated to the World Peace Council, but they say British CNDR, Scottish CNDR, uh, Clyde Cumberwater, and lots of others aren't as well. But that didn't mm. stop us seeking common ground with them because oh, yeah. they all knew, especially in Europe, that we were the first peace group in Europe to actually point to this process that was going to happen mm. long before it was there was actually much of an ev- much evidence for it, right? Mm. And you're right because they, you know, at that stage, '96, it was pretty, you know, it was like low down. You know what I mean? It was, wasn't it? But now it isn't. Now you're talking about a, a commitment to spend literally billions of euro, mm. five billion euro has been given basically to the uh, arms industry in Europe 
to build arms to sell them to uh, African states. Mm. And uh, we're paying for that. And that's off the books. Like each individual state will have to do it. In fact, Martin Wall, who's the Irish Times correspondent, quoted uh, a section of the Irish state that does financial use that, you know, this is definitely going to have problems, mm. you know, for Irish expenditure because we're going to have to spend billions helping the European armies to sell weapons to African states, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's only one part of it. Like, I mean, I think the, the, the total, I mean, let's have the figures here, actually, that, that uh, the total expenditure is one, of all the European states is 186 billion. And that, that's a lot of money. That includes their NATO, because most of them are in NATO as well. Yes. You know, and NATO has just declared that uh, China is, is a great threat, right? I mean, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. None. I mean, China wants to sell products, but there's no evidence that China wants to invade Europe. I mean, I, I, mean, I haven't seen any of it. I mean, maybe I'm not reading the right books or reading the right newspapers, but there's not a shred of evidence that China has the slightest interest. And historically, they never did. You know, they okay, they can't, they, areas around them became part of their empire. Mm. Uh, but there's no tradition that exists in West, in Western Europe, of going out and conquering, selling drugs to China and beating the shit out of them until they agreed in the 19th century. And mm. don't forget, in the 19th century, 30%, 20 to 30% of the area of the British Army were Irish. Mm. Sure. You know, there's a long, there is a long, Tradition, you know, what I mean, you still have people. I think there were people wanting to commemorate, wasn't it? Flanagan, one of the things, wanted to commemorate the black and tans. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that didn't work, you know. No, definitely not. I mean, even Fianna Gael people, remember going at their earlier part of our conversation, we were talking yeah. the Republicans in Fianna Gael. A lot of Fianna Gael people see themselves as the real Republicans, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so. Uh, they were the ones that declared Ireland should the, the 26th county should be the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's much more deeply rooted in, in Irish people, and I think that mm. looking back at it, I, I do think the 1916 commemoration and the way the ruling parties at the time treated it with utter contempt. Right? Mm. They didn't want it. They wanted to see the 1916 rising as a tourist opportunity. Yeah, and that was their that is their mindset. They're absolutely the, the, the people who ignore Pana know yeah. all the journalists. A lot of journalists then get jobs working for um, these ministers. Mm. They, they're all they all and they all know each other, they all agree with each other. They all, oh no, we're all European now, you know, isn't it? And all this, and you know, we must go and defend Europe against yeah. China, and China has no so we have to go in order to defend Europe, we have to have to go to war with China. In order to defend Europe, mm. work that one out, right? It's insane, you know. It's, it's the fact that people like me think it, and generally thinking, I don't think I am. I'm insane, or I'm insane, or but I don't think so. I just think I just don't. I just find that that imperial culture. You know, you know the way I use the phrase that uh, the imperialists lost in 1914, 18, and then in the War of Independence. Mm. And then they waited in the long grass for their time to come again. And I think that's what's happened. I think that grandsons and their granddaughters of all, of all the people who were home rulers, right? And their time has come again. I mean, they have a new empire, you know, the European crowd, and we should go and, 
advocate we should die for the European empire in the same way that we did, and they right. did do it in 1914. Did, did you, you know, it's interesting you talk about 2016 because um, you actually left the Labour Party um, in or around the mid 2000s and 2015. Yeah. And what, what prompted that then? There was a resolution put forward by Sinn Féin to uh, put Irish neutrality into the constitution by way of a referendum. Mm. The last time that had been done was 2003, mm. when the Labour Party was in opposition, mm. as was Sinn Féin at the time, and they voted uh, in favour of it. Right. And it wasn't a money bill, right? Mm. I would put up. I would have put a lot of effort personally in lobbying all my friends in the Labour Party, saying if this is not a money bill, this won't even if you didn't vote for it or abstained on it, right? Yeah. You um, you won't bring the government down, right? Yeah. And they said, "Piss off!" Right? I didn't actually say that, but they all voted in favour of it. So there's no support oh, at they all. all. They all know the Labour Party backed Fine Gael to the hilt to oppose an amendment to the constitution to allow the people to decide whether they want it in the constitution or not. Wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be a government decision. In other words, you can right. have, a, have a referendum hmm. and, and the decision is made by, by way of a referendum, like all the previous ones. Hmm. And they, they voted that down. So that was it, that was my final, that was it. Like, you know, you're actually consciously against neutrality now. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and now, I don't think that was the reason why they got wiped out. Yeah, yeah. In the election, I think they got wiped out because of the economic policies that were put forward. But I mean, we spend at the moment 0.3% of our GDP on uh, defense. Now, that's a billion euro, which is not an insignificant amount of money. Yet, the government are looking now to buy uh, another billion, another huge amount of money on jet planes that will intercept uh, Russian planes that aren't actually flying through our airspace because they might or might not uh, fly into a, 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 an ordinary plane, right? Mm. Passenger plane. Despite the fact, to my knowledge, that has never, never, never happened, ever. Mm. In these ways, I have never come across it. Now, I'm willing to be corrected on this, mm. but they're actually saying we should spend a billion euro to invent something that's never happened. Mm. And then they want to build, uh, you know, most people think the function of the Irish Navy is to buy, uh, is to defend our seas, our fisheries, and to stop drug dealers coming into the country. Mm. So that doesn't logically mean you need a, you need a troop carrier. Yeah. Mm. Yet they want to spend money on buying a troop carrier. Mm. But jets and troop carriers are actually used in taking part in wars. That's the real reason why they want it. Mm. And this would be huge increases in military expenditure. Hmm. Now, I think that's a reasonable position. You're either in favour of building part, becoming part of a European army, you know, because these lads, they are, they are military commanders. They would go to meetings. They're on the military committee. You know, there's a new military committee. Hmm. And they're all spending 2% of their GDPs hmm. on um, weapons. Hmm. So they're looking to Ireland and saying, well, you're only spending 0.3% of your GDP. You're supposed to be one of the richest countries in Europe, you know? And you're all European. How come you're not spending more money on your weapons? 
That's the especially... unfortunate side effect of our inflated GDP. Yes, our exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's, 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 you can imagine, like, you know, in fact, the government um, advocated this guy, this, the, the current chief of staff, should mm. be made chair of this military committee. Mm. And I'm sure they were told politely, well, actually, no. <laughs> you know, but you can see, you can mm. see the mindset of these guys, you know, mm. they, you know, they, they, I remember there was a, Fine Gael, this goes back to Fine Gael again, I mentioned them a lot. There's a guy called Sean Barrett. Oh yeah, Dunleary. Dunleary. Yeah. Now, I knew Sean, like, you know, if you're living in Bonaparte, you're saying, oh, Sean, hello, Roger, how are you? You know, we weren't mates, but we hmm. each other with, with, you know, top respect and all that stuff. And I, Pan organized a, a major international conference. And I asked, because Sean at that time was the Fine Gael spokesman on, uh, on foreign policy mm. and defense and all that. So mm. he said, yeah, he came along and he spoke. And at that stage, you know, he took the, he took, this is a few years ago now, he took the, the current, the current Fine Gael line. Okay, that's good. Mm. And then, sir, and then he started, you know, about four or five, six years, seven, seven years later, when a good queen there, uh, I saw a meeting with him and I sat down. Now he knew he was on his way out. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to be standing again. Yeah. I sat down, I sat with Michael, sat down, and we started busy. And now, now, before you start, Roger, I want to say that I am not in favor of the European army either. Right? And I don't mind giving the army guys, the Irish army, a few toys to play with, right? But not that big, no big ones, right? <laughs> and, you know, if you know, he would adopt the same position as we have. We support mm. the Irish army, we support their role in peacekeeping. Mm hmm. You know, uh, not peacemaking, peacekeeping, you know, which they've done in Lebanon for a long time. And there's yeah. Cyprus that do that. You know, they're not in favor of the Irish Army. Mm. Because you know the Irish Army buttons. They're all the buttons that were the buttons of the Irish volunteers. That's right, yeah. Of the people who fought the war against the British Empire. Yeah. So all we're saying is that's a tradition. Pana believes it. You know? We fight to defend Ireland against realistic threats. Right, but generally speaking, there's no evidence that Russia wants to invade uh, Ireland. The Chinese want to invade Ireland. The British want to come back and invade us. That the Americans want to invade us. Uh, we're not actually threatened by anybody. So we need an army. You know, maybe you'll be coping with members of a reborn UVF or something. You know, but I mean, there's no, there's no immediate uh, threat to. Ireland, that you would need this enormous military expenditure of new uh, aircraft, uh, air, uh, troop carriers, and jets yeah. and stuff. And there isn't, other than your function is to become part of the European Army. Yeah. Pana was involved, obviously, in 2003, the, the huge march against the Iraq War, along with Richard Boyd Barrett and um, yeah, yeah, that was Brendan great. Butler. That, that, that was lovely. That was great. Fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, do you, but do you, do you genuinely think that had no effect, or do you think it had an effect? I mean, it must have had some effect on the. On the well, certainly no, certainly uh, no immediate lasting impact. You know, right. I mean, um, the the uh, you know we 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 had an AGM. We came up with the idea. We approached the 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 Irish anti-war movement and mm. other peace movements. The the you know, that existed, right? There were three mm. major 
time was gone now since yeah. and um, we proposed all together organization and, 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 and Richard and myself and Brendan Butler were actually allocated the task of organizing. So three of us, right? So which is you know we didn't have you know we, we three of us organizers and we decided at a very early stage we would try and make it as broad as possible. Mm. And I insisted that I be the person who, who deal with the guardian. Mm. Because at the time the, the, I think the trots were doing their you know guardi or or fascists or whatever. They don't do that in Ireland, but that's the stage. Well, I want, I'm dealing with the police. So I rang up uh, John, Keaton, John Keenan, who was the superintendent in charge, and asked him, would he, would he, we were having this march. Yeah. Uh, and uh, can we agree a route? I, can, he, I kept on calling him um, John. He kept on calling him Mr. Cole. You ever did those conference conversations? Yeah. Uh, eventually, he gave up, and he started calling me Roger, you know? It's very difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, uh, so then I said, "Do you want to meet me?" He said, "No, no, no, we've agreed to lose." I said, oh, "That's fine, that's great." Uh, uh, so, so then about two, two couple of weeks prior to their march, uh, mm. he rings up. I says, uh, "Reports are coming back that the march might be bigger than we originally thought." <laughs> you know, don't forget the previous marches against the coming war had been a thousand people at most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went in. And uh, had a meeting with them, and he says, uh, "I said, what's your estimate?" Uh, uh, I, uh, I said, "Well, I don't know." I said, "What's yours?" Right? So he said, oh, "I think there might be about sixteen thousand, right?" So of course I had to have bigger, right? I said, "Oh no, we might get about twenty, twenty-five thousand, no." So both of us were totally wrong, <laughs> utterly wrong, right? Uh, well over hundred. I remember meeting uh, John in, at, at towards the end of the march, and mm. I said. How many people do you think were here? This is before it became in the media, right? I can't the same time. I says a hundred thousand. I said, how do you know there's a hundred thousand? These they're coming from everywhere. He says, oh, look. He says, Roger, I have no idea how many people are on the march. I just a hundred thousand feels like a big number. <laughs> that was the reason he said, and that I think he's right. I mean, you yeah. couldn't possibly have any idea yeah. how many yeah. people there were on, on, on the march, yeah. and. Also, we did win insofar as the Irish Defence Force and the Irish Army was not sent to Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. Now that was a, that was an achievement because since then, of course, they've sent them to Afghanistan. You know what I mean? There's, they're now in Mali. You know, there's the, that that policy has altered. But that was one impact mm. of the of, of, of the war of, of, of that march. Right? They actually didn't send any Irish. No, they they helped. They continued to help thousands. Thousands and literally, it's not, it's, the general figure could be about three to four million up to now, right? Mm. Well, maybe too many. I can't really that figure because it's hard to calculate. You know what I mean? Mm. Coal or thing other way. I don't know the up to date figure mm. because they're still going through. This. You know, if you follow Ed Hogan, who's oh, yeah, uh, yeah. one of the main people in China, watch. They're up on his Facebook the whole time, and virtually every second day he's there. You know what I mean? And he knows where they're going. And, mm. and some of them are just planes going from one. Well, some plane. Going, it wouldn't not necessarily go into an actual war. You know, you know, I mean, it's complicated because you know, there's a lot of German bases, yeah. but it might be just going to bring food to, to the German, the American troops in in, in uh, bases. You know, bring yeah. bring Coca-Cola to American troops in Germany. <laughs> you, you yeah. can't guarantee that they're all. Yeah. You know, so, um, but nevertheless, uh, the this year is quite significant because. The Americans have now been defeated in Afghanistan. Mm. 
there's only 5,000 troops occupying Iraq and they're, they're, some, they're being attacked and so they attack back. It's like, there's only a couple of thousand of them and they're not going to win that one either. You know, the, the parliament of Iraq has asked them to leave. There's only about 900 American troops in, in Syria, right? And that's not a lot either, you know what I mean? Yeah. And of course, the, the Syrians and the Iraqis and the, and the Iran uh, are now definitely more solidly allied, right? Yeah. And they're the same, most of Lebanon as well. You know, there's a sizable block of people that don't want them any longer, you know, that, 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 so... You know, and also, China has just decided to help rebuild Syria. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the more they attack me, if you constantly attack the Russians, if you constantly attack the Iranians, if you constantly attack the Chinese, they kind of feel, well, we don't want to go to war with you, but we can't assume well, you're not going to, because you're, 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 you know, you're sending your troops. You know, so it's not, it's not a good time. I mean, we could be entering a whole new period of even bigger wars. Mm. It's such an insane thing to do because if the Americans couldn't beat the Afghans, what makes them think they can beat the Chinese? I mean, like, you know, it's not, it's not a very, it's, it's, but it's much, much worse. I mean, you're talking about two nuclear powers. Mm. That'll be yeah. the first time two nuclear powers went to war. And I don't understand why we want, Ireland wants to back that war or have anything to do with it. You know what I mean? And, and uh, you see, it's okay to go to war with Iraq. Because they never had nuclear weapons. Mm. They were t- everybody's, all they have weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. And every newspaper in Ireland backed the use of Shannon Airport. You know, I've always backed the use of Shannon Airport in these wars based on what we now know was an absolute 100% lie, right? And now they're, they're, they're saying things like, you know, I, don't, I, can't, I can't understand why anybody believes anything the Americans say after everybody knows they lied about a war. And that's, but that's, not, that's not anti-American, by the way. Mm-hmm. Usually if a country goes to war, it tells lies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's standard procedure. You know what I mean? It's not as if it's yeah, an anti-American thing. Big empires, big states lie in order to justify themselves going to war. And that's, so I'm not anti-American. In fact, we have, we have very, very well-established big contacts with the you know, very large segments of the American uh, peace movement. Mm. You know, a lot of them, they, they were the ones who asked us to, to um, organ, help organize this conference. conference. And you know who gave us coverage? No, like sure. from all over the world, you know? Yeah. Guess. No guess? Better fact than the, the, the newsletter. Really? The newsletter was the only report on this conference. Yeah. It's packed. Uh, Liberty Hall to the, to the, to the, to, you know, it was packed, excuse me. Yeah. Sorry, what year was that conference again? Apologies. Like... Uh, 19, uh, it was on November 16 to 18, 2018. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we two guys were asked to do nothing else but contact the media, get a bit of coverage for it. Mm. That says it all. That really does. I guess how much, well, you probably never heard of it either. Sounds like. Am I right? See, and the point is, that's not our fault. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. from our fault from sending out press papers or getting yeah. a but if the corporate media decide they're not going to give any coverage to a major international global peace conference, yeah. the biggest ever that's happened in Ireland for generations, right? Yeah. With people from literally all literally all over the world, from America, from South America, from mm. Australia, from India, from you know, from Palestine, from you know yeah. 
How'd you um, get the message out? Yeah, you're right. How, how do you get a message out? Like, the is you won't. You can't. You know what I mean? It's not. I'm not complaining, by the way. I mean, I you could argue I'd be very disappointed if they did give us coverage. <laughs> then, they, yeah. then, they, then they'd see us as rather harmless. Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. You know, because, you know, if the kind of people that have on the, the media politics, I mean, they have to do by-elections and things like this. You know, they have to do that. But, I mean, you remember during the last election, uh, RTE spent the last week prior to the voting a sustained attack on Sinn Féin, mm. purely the basis of some uh, killing that had happened in Northern Ireland 20 years before that. That's not an accident. That's not, you know, that's not objective. That's a decision by the people who run RTE to make certain that Sinn Féin did, did, did as badly as possible. Mm. Mm. And it kind of... Well, it well, certainly right. made me feel I definitely made the right decision in joining Sinn Féin, you know. Right, because you, oh. you joined Sinn Féin in the mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. yeah. 2016. 2010. Able to remember yeah. that. Yeah. That's, that's supposed to be an easy day to remember. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I, I, mean I, I campaigned. I was, you know, that's before my arthritis. It was just getting worse and worse. But I was that knocking on doors for Sinn Féin in that election in Ballybrack, right? And you knew you were hitting something I've never ever experienced before, right? Mm. You knock on the door, the door answers, they see your badge. We're all voting Sinn Fein in this house. Really? Like, there's no there's no discussion. There's no this what are your views on housing? What are your you know or what's your what's what's your opinion of the potholes outside my house? Nothing like that. Yeah. They already decided yeah. that they've had enough and are all voting for Sinn Fein. Right. Shane, who is the Sinn Fein candidate, lost out, right? Uh, to Richard, but which you know, because he, you know, but by a fairly mm. narrow margin. You yourself were saying you were involved in the 1913 and 1916 commemorative committees uh, in Dunleary. And if you'd like to expand a bit on that, because I really think it pulls together a lot of the thoughts that you've been expressing in the last hour or so, just in relation to an underlying radicalism in Ireland, um, an affinity to neutrality, and an affection for it, I think actually one can go a sentiment towards it, but also the fact that this, uh, and you just said some very interesting things earlier on about 1913 and 1960. So perhaps you'd just like to talk about your involvement in those as well and what lessons you drew from the interaction with people who might be unexpected supporters of 1913 yeah. and 1916. Well, I was only peripherally involved in the yeah. 1913 committee. I was on the committee and I went to a few meetings, but I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wouldn't have been a main player. And, um, Anyway, uh, in 1916, they decided, the 19th century would have it. I wasn't at it. I was, I knew it well. They said, mm. uh, so anyway, I arrived in uh, to the meeting. And you always know when there's a large number of people yeah, at 7 o'clock. And I was, I'm always on time. And there were rick people there before I got there. Yeah. And of course, you immediately know something, something is up, right? Yeah. So they said, we would propose a chair. And Roger would be, like you to be the chair, right? right? So I said, okay. And uh, then what happened was, and then I think soon after that, the, the government had this uh, video, which is, I think is probably worth its weight in gold, because I don't know, I saw it myself, but then it lost, it's disappeared into the ether. Mm. You know, a good journalist should try and find out where that copy has gone to. Is there one left? Or have they all been destroyed? <laughs> where they wanted the 1916 to be, uh, to be uh, a board for entertainment campaign. 
and uh, there was a major revolt, you know, even by the historians, mainstream historians, and they really thought this is ridiculous. This is history commemoration, not a tourist opportunity. And they really got upset because you know we were upset, but I mean, mm. we got, you'd expect people like involved in the 1916 committee to get upset about it. Uh, one of the consequences was they were able to give us some money, right? And also, uh, so we organized, uh, we got a rake of speakers. Unfortunately, I can't remember them all, but uh, Angus Mitchell was one of them. Hmm. And uh, he's Ireland's expert on casement. But all the other papers were very, very good as well. You know what I mean? Uh, it was a big success. I mean, we had to turn 70 people away, you know, especially Angus Mitchell. I think the numbers we had to turn away because the place was packed. It was, it was definitely something that nobody, including myself, Expected the turnout was absolutely phenomenal, yeah. and clearly this came as a big surprise not just to me but to all the councillors and all the people in the in the, in the actual department of fire in the actual Donegal Town County Council. There was mm. this huge interest in 1916 that people hadn't foreseen. Yeah, it wasn't just us. You know what I mean? There was mm. these 1916 events all over the country. And it is possible, you see, that that had much more, it reunited, reunited this sort of, well, we are Irish, we do have an independent state, you know, we're not, you know what I mean? It, it, it sort of revitalized that, right? Mm, mm. Uh, also, the actual war by the IRA was over, it had been over for a good few years, you know what mm. I mean? So that Sinn Féin was developing as a political organization. And I think the number of people who want to United Ireland by peaceful means is quite substantial, right? Mm. I mean, even Riker is now saying, that he wants to see United Ireland in his lifetime, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that you see. I think it's fascinating that you know that the leader of the Fianna Fáil party, the Soldiers of Destiny, uh, is the first leader of Fianna Fáil. It doesn't hear, doesn't hear what United Ireland. Mm. You know, I, I find that I don't. You wouldn't say that Hottie now, for example. You wouldn't say that. My father was on the jury. You know, by the way, Hottie's jury. You know, there's another reason why. Oh really? Oh. oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. He was not guilty. The reason why he was found not guilty because he wasn't guilty. Mm. You know, but I mean, um, you have all this um, thing that's you know I don't understand. I can't even understand. You know, I mean, I remember going to a Labour Party meeting and Prince de Rossa attacking James Connolly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, don't do that. I mean, you know, it's not a normal situation to attack the founder. Of the party you were a member of, mm. I mean, you might say nothing about them or something like that. And, mm. You know, some one student who was there called James Connolly a terrorist, right? Right. Uh, there are people who, obviously, as you said, there are people who think like that. Just you know I mean that if you are a Republican, you are therefore by definition a terrorist, right? Mm. But I mean, anybody knows anything about Irish history, there are ways. You know, yeah, it's not a historical position. Uh, it's not in substance. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, but then I think out of that, I think I think there's maybe far more of a turning point in people's thought processes. Yeah. You know, the fact that they, the fact that they not only that we asked them to fund the Roger Casement Summer School, we've had, mm. you know, several of those now, not the last couple of years for obvious reasons. Mm. The statue of Casement will be erected uh, this probably this April as part of the very bats. And it's a very, very, very formidable statue. Yeah. Fantastic, right? And uh, so you will have, I think that could help to continue uh, this because, you know, I mean, Caseman, why we wanted to, why we wanted Caseman, not, not just that he was born in Tulare, 
Mm. But I mean, Caseland was an anti-imperialist. Yeah. You know, he, he became famous because of his opposition to the Belgian uh, king uh, who killed 10 million people in the Congo. In the Congo. Mm. But so he was an anti-imperialist. I mean, that's, that's how you define him. And then, of course, he was in favor of Irish independence. He was a member of the Irish Volunteers. He was, you know, sorry, senior member. Mm. And uh, he was arrested. And then uh, he was put on trial and the, 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 the British came up with a, a, a scam, right? Or uh, dirty tricks and accused yeah. of being homosexual, which is a pack of lies, in order to blacken his name. Because on one person, you see, case one, outside Ireland, case one was an international figure. figure yeah. Oh, he was a bottom of his day. You know what I mean? He was a, he was a figure that people would have known of in, in many, many countries. Mm. And the one person they want to blacken, the one person the British Empire wanted to destroy, it was Caseland. Mm. They did. I mean, it was quite successful. And there's still a lot of, I regard, you know, the people who, whose politics are not Republican, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of which there are still a reasonable number, especially in RTE. Yeah. Uh, they, they would still leave all this bullshit. Uh, so, and they've been successful, you know, they, you know. Not as successful now as the 1916 things, but they were reasonably successful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think once the statue is built, yeah. that will revitalize interest because I'm sure you've been to Dunleary every now and then. Mm. And the number of people who walk along the front mm. is thousands, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll all see the Caseman statue and they'll all say, Who's that? Right? Yeah. You know, and we produced a book on Caseman, you know, on, on the book that he wrote himself. We republished it. That's great. So, uh, you know, it does, and it's, we have a website, uh, the Roger Cason Source Group.ie, right? Right, uh, great. We recorded, uh, most of the, of the talks were, were, were recorded. Yeah. And that's all part of a cultural thing. That's all part of a, of a, you know, and we try and make it as broad as possible. Like, it's mm. not a Sinn Féin front organization that isn't in any circumstances. Mm. It's not. It's a broad based uh, uh, cultural identity with somebody who was an anti-imperialist and was uh, shot by the British Empire. Uh, and, uh, and they blackened his name, did all the kind of things you'd expect him to do. I mean, they, I don't blame the Brits doing what they do. This is what empires do. I mean, yes. that's, this yes. is mm-hmm. part of the course. And um, so I think that'll help as well. But that's not the only one. There's lots of things like that constantly happening mm. that make people reassess their relationship. And they... The issue, the one that currently is now the case. I mean, very, very few people in Ireland would argue that the, the way you achieve United Ireland is that the 26th country rejoin the United Kingdom. Yeah. Might. I'm sure there's people like that, but it's a very small, right? And in next year, there'll be a report out, I'm sure, saying that the nationalists are, you know, are a majority in Northern Ireland and that the unionists are in bits uh, at the moment. You know what I mean? Mm. Going out on a protocol uh, and saying yeah we're going to break two or you know the, i mean the they when the key one of the key things that happened in irish history was the decision of uh, clinton to invite uh, adams over to america and that meant that the americans accepted the bona fides of of uh, the the they wanted to go down the peaceful route and the Good Friday Agreement was agreed and it provides a peaceful mechanism for the achievement of the United Ireland. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if they get a majority, if, in fact, it's the British minister who makes the decision. So there is mm. evidence that suggests that it was. Like, you know, it's not an Irish decision. It's made by the yeah. 
and uh, you know what's left of it. Uh, yeah. But it's still there. You know what I mean? Ireland was their Ireland was their first colony. You know what I mean? And then the, the Scottish guy became king of England. And mm. the rest is history. But I mean, uh, the, 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 the key thing is that that's all part of creating a new Ireland. Uh, I, I hate that word, new Ireland. It sounds like, an, actually, it is, a, it is an insurance company. Yeah. You, know, um, you, have to, you have to look at the values of the founders of the Republican tradition, mm. like Tom. Mm and people who carry on that tradition, uh, not what they did in terms of fighting wars, but what they actually wrote down. And if anybody's ever interested, I strongly recommend they, they read the collected, the collected writings of, of uh, Wolf Tone, right? And it's not that thick. <laughs> you wouldn't rush into it. But I, I did read it. I, you, you, left, you were left with an amazingly high yeah. opinion of Tone. Right? Yeah. As he wrote that book about advocating neutrality and independence when he was 27. So you had, at the time of the French Revolution, all that kind of thing. So you, you are talking about um, a culture and a tradition that has a very, very, very wide echo back, not to some sort of trendy lefty group, you know what I mean? Mm. Or some ultra-left group, you know what I mean? But mm. like right across the board, 82% of the Irish people. I mean, you're talking about a big number. That's why people who sort of say, Oh man, you're head of pan, you're radical, right? Well, actually, if I am radical, so are 82% of the Irish people. You know I mean? Because it's not radical to say you're an independent, want to be an independent country and you want to be a neutral country and you want to take part in peacekeeping operations and you want to be part of the United Nations, the only global body that's supposed to justify going to global wars. So, in a sense, I don't see myself as a radical at all. Yeah, I think that sums up it perfectly, that actually what you're asking for is not radical. It's actually basic good sense. Thank you, Roger Cole. Thanks yeah. a million for a really great discussion. Okay. Much appreciated. I enjoyed it.